Your favorite brands have lost their luster. And goodbye streaming video. Hello, TV. This is episode 95 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, 95 episodes. What are we going to do at 100? I, we'll have to have a party. I think we have to quit. You come, you come east, and we'll have a party out here. I try. <laughs> okay, your favorite brands have lost their luster. This was kind of from a, a cool piece in Axios, which I guess was a piece that's been waiting to be written for years, hasn't it, Tom? I mean, when I read this piece, I thought, I've been waiting for this to appear for a long <laughs> time. This was all about the fact that all the brands that we all grew up knowing and loving the most— Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Jell-O, Kraft mac and cheese. All of a sudden, these, you know, world-famous, epic, lifelong heritage brands are worth $15 billion less than they used to be. Caught up. How, in the, how in the world did that happen? <laughs> little by little. <laughs> little by little, but it seems like all of a sudden people have awakened to notice it, and it's really interesting. So the piece in Axios says basically, look, I mean, older companies, or specifically older brands, really, not necessarily older companies, but the challenges facing these brands reflect shifts that aren't likely to swing back in their favor, To which, which made me ask, when are trends likely to swing back in anybody's favor? Isn't that what makes a trend a trend? Is that yeah, it never it swings swing. back? Yeah, it doesn't. Where, where yeah. are the, my bell-bottom jeans? I'm still <laughs> holding on to those. <laughs> well, that's too much information right there, Tom. <laughs> so um, I, a couple of things occur to me about this. Here's some of the anecdotes, first of all. They mention Jell-O and Kraft and Oscar Mayer. They talk about the people who purchase Clairol and CoverGirl brands which wrote down the value of those brands by $3 billion. They talk about Campbell's, Campbell's soups. I mean, this is as American as apple pie, as soup and apple pie, Tom. I know. Have, the, the sales have fallen in eight out of the past 10 fiscal years, which, and, which makes me wonder what happened in those two years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as much as I love my soup, it's... Um, so uh, here's the analysis from the experts, and I don't know about you, but I love reading what experts have to say, because it's a funny thing, these experts, they're quick to be able to diagnose what the problem is, and they seem utterly incapable of doing anything about it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, I do. So, so anyway, here, um, here's what, uh, what uh, the, the founder of a company called Brand Amplitude uh, tells uh, Axios. The tough thing about these products is that they're really hard to improve on. That's a good one. About, about the only thing you could do is change the package. Thanks for that counsel. Thanks for that wisdom. I appreciate well, that. Like with all due respect to that to that woman, because I, I I know very well the brand that she was talking about. But when you have your entire infrastructure all revolving around putting stuff in cans. <laughs> It becomes really different to shift that thing to something else. <laughs> well, that's that's true, but I mean, so in other words, yes, you could put different stuff in the cans, or you could put more varieties of things in the cans, which of course they do. Here's right. the other analysis that's relevant here. They're saying, look, consumers are piling into nouveau and generic brands, things like Kylie Jenner's cosmetic brand, Brandless, which we've talked about on this show before, and I think more to the point are kind of the house brands of Amazon, which are just soaking up kind of the commodity usage from everyone who has a commodity need, right? 
Oh yeah, look, Amazon. Um, I mean, they're they're in the, they have their own clothing brands now. It's it's amazing what they're doing. These guys. Yeah. It, it it really is, and I think it's really testing the the barriers of 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 what brand equity means and what brand equity means in the face of convenience and trust in the distribution partner that's getting you the stuff uh, within 24 hours or even sooner in some cases. Here's what the, the piece says. Newer brands captured 31% of revenue share growth within the last four years, an increase from 27% in prior years. And then, of course, they mention Amazon. And I, I thought about this and I thought, well, Tom, what's surprising about this? Haven't newer brands always grown at the expense of established brands? Is there anything really novel about this? Yeah, there is. <laughs> and it's because it's because of the Internet and social media. I was thinking about this the other day. I have never seen in, in decades culture shift so rapidly through through. It's just it, it just amazes me how quickly things it's just sensibilities and priorities and people's tastes exponential rates of change. And it's because of this wide open access to these mm -hmm. different differentiated stories online and social media and, and and a lot of the when we talk about the marketplace a lot of these novel product offerings i mean they just they keep popping up and and we've talked about this the the fact that these uh entry barriers have mm -hmm. collapsed i mean production you can go get anything you want made anywhere in the world whenever you want mark Design. You can get the world experts in package design, any kind of design you want, logo design, website design. Media is wide open on the Internet. I mean, what's media? What's a TV station? Distribution. Mm -hmm. You can go direct to consumer with your own platform. And the other thing that used to be difficult is funding. But the tech venture community, they've been pouring money into these entrepreneurs who are using the Internet and using, like, cool branding to attack mm -hmm. these huge markets. That's where, that's where these companies are coming from. You know, do, do you see what I mean? I do, but what I don't understand is this is a predictable trajectory. Doesn't this necessarily uh, suggest a, if you can't beat them, join them strategy? So why should we be uh, perplexed that Jello sales are down or that Kraft mac and cheese sales no, are down? Yeah, Isn't no. the right strategy for Kraft to go out and buy brand X and for Jello to go out and buy brand Y? I mean, I noticed the other day that uh, Coke has a new line of uh, drinks, uh, soda drinks, that have like uh, uh, the, these weird botanical extracts in them. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it's like I never would have expected those things to be in something called or from a company called Coca-Cola, and yet there they are. But isn't that exactly the solution to this problem? Isn't the problem that we're thinking about Kraft mac and cheese like it's, no pun intended, a closed box? <laughs> yeah, right? you're right. Yeah, you're right. So let me, let me just see if I can. I'll take you behind the doors of these big companies, and then I'll take you behind the doors of these little startups so you can see what's going on. You get behind the door of these big companies, and you say, hey, I've got this idea, this really good idea mm -hmm. for this uh, – this particular mac and cheese that satisfies the needs of these lactose intolerant vegetarians who are also looking for something made by Buddhists in the Himalayas, something like mm -hmm. that. And, mm -hmm. and, and the big guys, they look at each other around this table and they say, and how much a first year sales going to be of this thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, if we do it really well, hit the ball out of the park, maybe 20 million. And they look at this guy and go, forget it. That's not even going to move the needle here. Focus on what we do best which is selling more 
mac and cheese. Take a look at what we're doing in advertising, on social media, on this and that, and that will move the needle much more than taking this risk doing this crazy product. So then you get these entrepreneurs who used to work for these big companies, and they're, you know, they're trained by these big brands, and they say, ah, the hell with it. I'm going to go online. I'm going to start my own little company. I'm going to use this highly differentiated, compelling packaging and storytelling. I'll use this direct-to-consumer approach. I'll appeal to these specific people's sensibilities and priorities, right? And not to sound like a broken record again, because we said this over and over and over, and they're going to appeal to certain feelings in the way people create value and identity mm -hmm. around the stuff they buy. Perfect example of how this works is this shaving brand, Harry's, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's what happens. So they were founded six short years ago. Their brand strategy is simply to convey that they're simple, uh, superior, more affordable, okay? And they do this through design, through storytelling, through sourcing at a particular manufacturer. Three years later, these guys have a few million customers, mm -hmm. primarily online subscriptions. And today, you see their razors and their other shaving products displayed on shelves everywhere, like Walmart, all the major retailers display. Target, yep. Yep. And why? Because a few months ago, right, Schick, who owned, you know, the Schick brand of razors, the company that owns them, Mm -hmm. They bought Harry's for one. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, one point four <laughs> billion dollars, right? So uh -huh. this is this is what you're seeing. So is is Campbell's going to buy one of these? Well, yes, sure. They're I think do that's it. what I'm. That's what I'm saying. So in other words, why cry the blues over Jello and Kraft mac and cheese? Why not find the Harry's of Jello or the Harry's of mac and cheese? For example, if I'm Kraft, I mean to 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 use your example, if I'm Kraft. I'm not taking the meeting with the guy who wants to have the lactose intolerant, you know, niche or niche niche mac and cheese. I'm taking the meeting with Kylie Jenner right. to say, hey, Kylie, help us develop Kylie's mac and cheese and we'll put it on the shelves for you. Hey, Gwyneth Paltrow, Nasty. help us develop. No, that's not what they're going to do. <laughs> help, us develop, help us develop goop mac and cheese and we'll put it on the shelves for no, you. Okay. No, that's not what they're going to do. What they're going to do is they're going to sit around and wait. <laughs> you, you and I are going to go to Kylie Jenner with, with a, some investment money, and we're going to mm -hmm. say, we're going to launch this thing, and mm -hmm. we're going to grow it for three years, and then, crap, they, and then they're going to come it. to us, and then they'll buy it. They'll say, okay, they proved it out. They proved out the market. They've got the customers. They've got retail shelf space. We can blow it up now with our advertising and promotion and all so of that. So in other words, to use an analogy, so uh, commercial radio broadcasters – uh, it pretended that podcasting didn't exist right up until pro podcasting's marketplace was proved. Now all of a sudden they're climbing over each other to get a piece of the action, right? Exactly right. Look, Mark, you, you've seen these beer brands. There are hundreds of domestic import craft beer brands all over the world. They're all owned by five global brewing companies. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. what they do. They let these guys go out, create this brand, do all the legwork, whatever, and I guess it's less expensive or less risky for them to just go out then and say, okay, we'll buy you, and then buy them up. Can I make another comment on this that occurs to me, too? This is more of a minor comment, but as an observation, all of these brands have something else in common besides the fact that their heyday was some years ago, and that's that they were really built on the basis 
of TV. broad-based <laughs> advertising. That's right, TV exactly. advertising, yes. And it occurs to me, I mean, when was the last time you saw a mac and cheese TV spot or a Jell-O TV spot? I, um, no, nope. Today they're all pharmaceuticals and, you know, tools to, you know, uh, to, tools to help you get up the stairs without walking. Um, it, the marketplace has really changed, and it seems to me today establishing brands is less about advertising and more about distribution. You know what I mean? It, well, it's about, it's about creating the right story and brand identity and then blowing that up. And, and the way they're blowing it up now, Mark, is social media. So they, that's why you're not seeing all these ads on TV, mm-hmm. right? It's so much cheaper to just spread these messages around online. Then they get distribution because they have something now. It would remind me of the, uh, the guy from uh, not too far from my office that started um, Stony Brook Farms, the mm-hmm. uh, yogurt. Yep. This guy, you, he struggled for like years and years and years. He had like four cows. He was going to go bankrupt forever. <laughs> and then he comes up with this crazy idea. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this yogurt in these little cups, and I'm going to travel to everywhere that all of these people that love our yogurt, you know, because there was no hormones and this and that. Mm-hmm. So he went to festivals and, you know, all of these different places, and he gave out samples. Mm-hmm. And that drove all kinds of people to go into the stores and say, I'm looking for this brand. I'm looking for this brand. That's why they finally gave this guy shelf space mm-hmm. because he already created this demand. And that's what turned him into the number one or two yogurt brand in the, in the world. Did you say he had four cows? Maybe five. I don't know. Well, that may have been part of his. It sounds like, it sounds like his capital base wasn't really well established. <laughs> if, he, if he was trying to stay afloat with four cows. No, but, but it, was a, it was kind of a catch-22. What comes first, the shelf space or the cow? He was trying to make the decision, you know? I'm not an expert in yogurt, but even I know you got to start with more than four cows, okay? That's all I'm saying. Well, maybe right. that, that was his founder's story. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Masecker and Mark Ramsey. <laughs> Goodbye, streaming video. Hello, TV. This is from an article. Tom and I uh, talked about this article before we came on from uh, Medium. And, and Tom said, you know, you got to help me with this article. It's like so long. And I said, yeah, I mean, Medium, it says it's 17-minute read. And Tom said... That's more than a 17-minute read. So we're not going to even, you know, you, we'll link it for you. But if you, you're going to spend more time reading it than you'll spend listening to us. So, you know, caveat emptor is all I'm going to say. Um, and I said to him, well, I only got about three, two-thirds of it. So let's <laughs> touch on that two-thirds. But it was a great two-thirds because here's the idea. It's the idea is actually much more simple than 17 minutes would imply. And that is that... Look, dis- when we talk about streaming video, over the top, all that stuff, this theme of disruption is overblown, the author says. Stuart Sh- uh, Schley seems to be his name. In the end, he says it's really just television. That's where he's headed with this whole thing. He re- makes a really compelling argument. And it is true that every time you open up one of the trades, it's here's a new streaming platform. Here's a new streaming platform from Disney. Here's a new streaming platform from Apple. Here's a new streaming platform from Warner's. And everyone's competing in this overcrowded streaming place. And the guy's saying, look, um, you may think this is overcrowded, but it's really not. You want to know it's crowded, 500 channels on your cable TV. That's yeah, crowded. Exactly. And this only adds to that, uh, that, that crowd. And he quotes some uh, data from Nielsen uh, that 
says, let's see, from uh, first quarter of 2019, viewing the streaming service most commonly happens on the same glowing screen where people watch the chestnut medium of traditional television on their TV sets. <laughs> the average U.S. adult spends 54 minutes per day watching video on quote-unquote connected TV sets compared with just 13 minutes on smartphones and seven minutes on tablets. So in other words, streaming video is really another term for television. And the only question is, you know, how you manage the bundle and who manages the bundle and what you pay for it and what you experience once you're watching it, right? What did you think about this, Tom? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's true what he's saying. And, you know, in the end, it's, it's just, he says, a way to get moving pictures and sound up on TV sets. Right. As a platform, that's true. There are some differences. I mean, you know, when, if you're a subscriber to one of these uh, SVOD services, um, w one of the big differences is they're not regulated by standards and practices like broadcast mm -hmm. TV, mm -hmm. right? So they can have the Sopranos, you know, which you're not going to see on ABC. So I don't know, you know, like NBC, now they're launching, they just said they're launching this thing called Peacock. That's their streaming service. Yeah, by the way, can I just comment that that is my least favorite name of all time for pretty much anything? <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I heard some TV critics saying, well, you know, people do refer to it as the Peacock Network, to which I say, who? TV yeah. critics? Maybe only TV critics refer to it as that, but not a, I've never heard another human being call it the Peacock Network ever unless no. they're a TV critic. No, I don't, nobody's ever said, what's on Peacock tonight? I don't think it. <laughs> but but so, so there are some differences, right? But he, here's the thing. I think this all comes down to, you know, he says all, his argument boils down to the fact that in the end it's all going to be bundled into a greater whole. That's what he's saying. Yes, because, like cable TV. He said it's a, it's a way to kind of remix cable TV is what he says. Yeah, but here's the difference, right? So if, if, if these various studios sell their shows right now, let's say to Comcast, who puts them all on, on their various channels, right, on, on cable, cable mm -hmm. channels, you mm -hmm. know, whatever, broadcast TV. So you've got like, you know, 500 channels, and there's a couple of shows that you bought in there from whoever, from, you know, Universal or, wh or whoever they're buying it from. Okay, if you do or don't watch that show, does that matter to them since they're being paid X amount anyway to have that show by Comcast? Like, there no. are many, many... Okay, so it really doesn't matter. So now, you go and you create the streaming service that you want people, like Peacock, they, I think they're going to charge six bucks a month. If they don't get these people to come in at six bucks a month to watch Park and Recreation or The Office or whatever they put on it, that's going to matter a lot to them. But right? here's the thing. Here, here, here's the thing. The, the, the shows that you're talking about are mostly, if not overwhelmingly, Shows that are, um, they're old shows. They're classic shows, right? Right. They're shows that have made their fame and achieved their scale through the medium of, of old-fashioned television and cable, right? <laughs> that, that's the crazy thing. So now when you take, so you can put, you know, the, granted there are shows like The Twilight Zone or, you know, The Mandalorian and the, the you know, shows that will be, um, unique to these uh, platforms, but the ones that are really going to hit it out of the park are extraordinarily few and far between. And it, to me, is un unimaginable that they will not be tempted, if not downright planning to, um, distribute these shows either uh, uh, concurrently or later 
on a platform that has greater scale than the one that has a handful of millions of members? No, I get. I mean, what did Netflix just spend to get Seinfeld? Like ridiculous amounts of money. It hasn't been publicized, but it's hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. they now they're going to be able to stream Seinfeld. Look, Mark, I think that all of this platform stuff is is moot. It doesn't matter. It, it's all going to come down to some way uh, people are going to navigate whatever that screen is in front of them. I don't know what it is. I navigate it right now between Comcast and Amazon and Netflix and all this stuff. I'm doing it. Is it is it the best way to handle it? No, there'll be something better. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe Apple TV will be better at some point. But that's not going to be primarily what all of these discussions are about. It's going to come back to the bottom line that you and I have pointed out over and over and over again. It's the content, stupid. It is the content, but here's the other thing, Tom. I think the, the way the platform manages the content is much more important than these um, platforms are currently uh, uh, giving it proper credit. For example, I mean, I have Roku at home. Right. Um, and uh, Netflix is uh, uh, pretty good on Roku. It's really great on Roku, in fact. Um, Amazon Prime is awful on Roku. You literally, if you want a particular thing... Good luck finding it if you go away from it <laughs> and you go back, number one. See, that's number, interesting. Number two, I mean, yes, you can use voice search and all this crap, which works some of the time, not all of the time. But then you've got to know exactly what you want. But in terms of browsing, it's not even alphabetical. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it's, it's <laughs> like going through a bargain bin of, you know, DVDs at the Best Buy to find something that interests you. <laughs> That's what the experience is to browse premium content that you're paying premium dollars for on these services. And this is true of almost all of them. And to me, the capper is the latest trend, which you may be familiar with, which is the um, so-called ad-supported streaming services. Oh, yeah. So Pluto these, TV. and Like oh, Pluto TV, which was just picked up by, uh, gosh, Vo uh, was it Viacom? Viacom, yep. Viacom that just picked up uh, Pluto. Big deal for Viacom to pick up Pluto. Have you ever watched Pluto, Tom? Nope. Pluto Listen, is like Walmart, going. Walmart owns one of those services, those ad-supported services. Have you, ever, have you ever watched it? I know they had one called Voodoo. Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's a big ad-supported service. Well, here's the thing, and Roku has their own, I get all that, but the experience of watching one of these things, the Roku channel or Pluto TV, now even there are certain shows on Amazon Prime that you can watch, that you can either purchase or rent or watch ad-supported for free. But here's the thing, Tom, <laughs> this is all back to the past, because when you watch Pluto TV, here's what the experience is. You got all these channels, whatever's on is on right now. You can't go back in time. You can't go forward in time. You don't schedule things. None of that exists. <laughs> and here's the worst part. When the spot comes on, you can't skip it. I know. You can't dodge it. In fact, if you go from one channel to the next, the spot follows you. Oh, boy. The spot follows you. I mean, this is the state of the art. So in other words, we've gone from an era of live television where you couldn't skip commercials to an era of live television where you can't skip commercials. That's progress. <laughs> no, what you're going to end up, there's going to end up being two groups of people, one who block all that stuff 
through subscriptions than ones who don't. And That's so advertisers are going to have to decide and figure out, hey, this group over here that blocks all this stuff, how are we going to reach them? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you can't see it, look, you can go to YouTube. I don't know how much the service is per month now, but you can block all those ads that come That's up right. on the videos and the music that you listen to. You just That's pay right. them 10 bucks a month or whatever. Pretty They'll good block service. Them. Yeah. It's pretty good service. And by the way, YouTube is, uh, speaking of platforms that do a better job of organizing things, that's one of them. Um, the other thing, the last point I want to make about this is that I think the idea, I mean, people talk about, well, how much tolerance are going to, people going to have for subscribing to platform A, B, C, and D? You know, can I have my Disney Plus, plus my Apple Plus, plus my, you know, Warner's Plus, all these various services, CBS, uh, All Access, et cetera. And I think that misses the larger point, which is that I, the consumer, don't want to manage across platforms. <laughs> I don't care about platforms. I care about content. Um, no, no consumer. Nobody says, hey, have you gotten CBS All Access yet? No. They say, hey, have you gotten Twilight Zone yet? Right. Or have you gotten Star Trek yet? And um, I don't think these platforms, through their, their vanity, yet understand that they're a whole lot less important than they think they are. And I think what they're doing right now is playing to, um, playing to management, playing to stockholders, playing to Wall Street in the hopes that um, this hedge that they're making against the future pays off at some point down the road, even though you know and I know that pretty much under any scenario – Every single one of these vanity platforms is going to have a relatively small number of millions of subscribers on a good day. Yeah. You know, Look, even Disney. It's the content, Mark. Once you sign up to these platforms, right? So through my Amazon Prime box, whatever it is, once I open up the HDMI and I'm streaming that channel, I see all the other platforms. So mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm subscribed to Netflix, I just click it and start watching it. Mm -hmm. So that's the trick is to get people to say, fine, I'll punch in all this information and my credit card and all that, and I'll sign up to Disney. Once they get in there, especially <clears throat> if they do it so that you don't see this billing pop up all the time. It's like Amazon Prime. You know how that goes, right? All of a sudden you, get your, you look at your bank statement and you go, ah, shit, there that thing is again. You know, <laughs> it's like once a year, once a year. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but if they do it like that, then you just forget about it. And you just, I think, see, this is, this is, this is how, think about it this way. So if you're purchasing a product online, Amazon is an easy place to have it be your go-to place. Why? They've got your credit card on file. You already subscribed to their prime two day free shipping. You feel comfortable with returns. It's just, it's low friction. But if, you, if all of a sudden you found some product online and you click this link in Google and it takes you to like Mary's Emporium and you're looking at this product, you start saying, oh, Jesus, I don't know. Who the hell is Mary's Emporium? I don't know if I want to put my credit card information. Is it going to be broken when it gets to my house? See, media is way different than that. You find a piece of media you want to watch. You don't worry about delivery, broken returns, nothing. You just click it and watch the thing. But but here's where I think it's a little bit different because let's say, you know, my wife and I just wrapped up the series Unbelievable. Um, 
let's say you're interested in Unbelievable and you're, you're a couple of episodes in and you're sitting down at night ready to watch your show. Question number one is, now which platform was that on? Oh, no, me, that's definitely. That's why I told you. Let me thumb through Netflix. Let me thumb through Amazon. I don't remember which place it is, right? And the difference there is if I'm interested in shoes and I go to Amazon and I type in shoes, mm -hmm. I'm in the right ballpark all the time, you know? There's right. no such thing as the wrong channel when you type shoes into Amazon. You can be on the wrong network and not find Unbelievable if you're over there on Amazon Prime hoping it pops up. Well, see, that's that's the user interface that's a mess, like you it's said. It's an utter mess. I mean, remember, once upon a time, the most valuable TV network in the world was the one called TV Guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right, Tom, it's uh, time for Rants and Raves. What do you have this week? Well, this is this is a rave, and I, I, I'm just throwing this out here is... Uh, Call it an idea starter for, for, for organizations, companies, small business, whoever they are, just to think about this. Did you hear the story of this young uh, boy in Florida who was bullied because he, he made like this University of Tennessee volunteer T-shirt? It was like the scribbled letter U and T on, on an orange T-shirt. I heard about that. I remember seeing something about that, but I don't know the details. Okay, so anyway, he's bullied at lunch for wearing this homemade UT shirt during College Colors Week, right? And, it, it, and you have to see it. I mean, it was the letters UT, and it looks just like scribbles of mm -hmm. UNT. Mm -hmm. And so his teacher shared that story of his on Facebook. Word got out to the university, right, of mm -hmm. Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So what did they do? Immediately, they put his hand-drawn design on a T-shirt, and they start selling them to benefit an organization called Stomp Out Bullying. Mm -hmm. Mark, the demand for that T-shirt was so overwhelming, it crashed the University of Tennessee's order page. Wow, wow. It crashed their site. But this is a lesson, which is, look, the marketplace today is about ideas. It's mm -hmm. staying tuned into culture, seeing the ideas, making the connections, and then having the energy to just go do improv, just go do it. If you did this in a corporation and everybody looked at it, they'll go, well, that UNT doesn't match our brand, you know, right. our brand book and out of this, and what if this happens? Just go do things and try things and see what that energy does. I thought that was a perfect example of somebody just saying, do, let's put it on a T-shirt and mm. let's start selling them and we'll donate the proceeds. And they did it. And that's the way, that's the way to innovate today. That's great. That's great. I love that story, and I'm glad to know more of those details, too. Um, I have only one today, and it is also a, a, the, the rarest of things, a rave. Oh, a rave <laughs> from my I family. have only one, a rave from me. I know it's a first. It may be a first in 95 episodes. It's about time. I'm going to look back at the other ones. I know. Good luck. Um, <laughs> so there is a, an ice cream truck, Tom. Have you ever partaken of an ice cream truck? Oh, man. I used to love those orange ones that had the plastic um like zoo animals inside there standing up because if you got a certain one at, when you got done and you got a free ice cream do you remember that it was no. like a push-up i think it was called a push-up oh, oh yes i do vaguely remember that like I orange think, yeah. sherbet thing that you because the up. ice cream wasn't good enough no no the ice cream was never that good <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's an ice cream truck in la and, um, you know, the, there's a problem in L.A., and the problem in L.A. is you're fighting... 
people who are starving and groping for attention all the time. Everybody in L.A. has is an Instagram influencer. Everybody in L.A. <laughs> has an IMDb profile, right? Yep. Everybody in L.A. is part of the business, even though if they, the closest they get to the business is driving by the, you know, the, the, the Disney gates um, every day. <laughs> so there's a guy named Joe Nitsche. He's got an ice cream truck out there called CVT Soft Serve. And it's a popular truck. But here's the problem that he had. Every week, he'd get requests from people who come up to the, who come up to the truck and say, hey, I'm an Instagram influencer, and I promise to post a photo of me with your ice cream. If you give me a free one. If you give me a free one. <laughs> so <laughs> this Boy, happened to him. Now. <laughs> this happened to him every single week. And he got so, you know, he would tell these people, no, no, no. He got so irritated about this that after a while he posted a sign. And the sign said, influencers pay double. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, and he wrote on Instagram that he would never give you a free ice cream in exchange for a post, along with the uh, <laughs> hashtag influencers are gross. And this thing went viral, went around the globe. So he said, basically, he said, look, we're the anti-influencer influencers. He said, it's weird, but I think it's really fun. I hope it inspires small businesses to hold their own and tell people to F off. <laughs> I love that. So. Uh, he, he said, commenting about the people that come to him is just, is just hilarious. He said, people come in, they love using the word exposure. It's so ridiculous, he said. But this apparently happened all the time, and especially in person. And he said, the worst part is when people actually come to you, it's not like they're emailing him. They're coming to you at the truck. They're approaching me at the truck, and they're asking for something for free. And he said to them, are you out of your mind? This is $4. <laughs> but... You know, it's, and people think nothing of it. Oh, no, they uh, do that all over the place with hotels, they, restaurants. You know that. Here's, here's an anecdote. He said, at times the requests were particularly offensive. He said an assistant to a famous actor, a woman on a television show who he declined to name, recently asked if he would donate ice cream to the cast and crew. In exchange, the actor offered to take a photo at his truck. His response, quote, as much as I'd love to do that, I don't think my kid's school accepts celebrity photos as a form of tuition payment. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, this truck moves, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I can get it's out not, of your way. It's so, not like you see a photo on Instagram and say, "Let's go to it." You don't well, know where true. it is. Well, they but that's the thing. They that's the, all these food trucks. They post every day where they're going to be, and people follow them every day. That's the thing with food trucks in LA. That's so funny. after he responded, that the assistant apparently took umbrage at that and responded with a nasty uh, message that said something along the lines of, you should be careful with your words. This is a very small town. <laughs> so. uh, you, know what, you know what he should do? See, What's he, that? He's got this thing all backwards. What he should do is he should post his prices at 8 bucks for ice cream yeah. and then have a yeah. big sign that say, if you're an influencer and you're willing to post it, we'll give it to you for 4 <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'd fall for that. No, that won't work. <laughs> so his final word on it, he said, look, he said, he said, look, we use social media to promote our business, obviously, but we don't want to depend on the platform. He said, look, if Instagram went away tomorrow, our truck would still survive. I don't know that your influencer business would. <laughs> Good for him. 
So that is it. It's called CVT uh, Soft Serve, a popular truck in L.A. So everybody patronize them. Apparently, it's the hot new thing to do. The more anti-influencer you are, the more popular you become. So, Tom, I think it's safe to say you and I are stridently anti-influencer. Well, you don't know how many times I've done things for exposure, so I get I get the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening now. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover and it's good, tweet us. Otherwise, please leave us alone. <laughs> you can email us at mramsey at markramseymedia.com and tomasacker at gmail.com. Catch up on older, what I like to call classic episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, the one and only Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.